0: Welcome to Propel, a podcast by Fellowship Pacific to propel you and your ministry forward in the mission God has for you. I'm your host, Jessica Powell, and in today's episode, we're talking about teams. Ministry work is almost always teamwork, and when our teams are healthy, we can achieve so much more than when they're not. Of course, we know that, but sometimes building a healthy team and a healthy team culture is easier said than done. So to talk about this, We asked our own team leaders here at Fellowship Pacific to share from their experience and wisdom about what it takes to build a healthy team. You'll get to hear from David Harita, Regional Director and the Church Life Cycles Team Lead, Krista Penner, our Leadership Development Team Lead, and Dan Cody, our Church Management Solutions Team Lead. They have a lot of practical advice to share with you. So let's listen in now to this conversation with David, Krista, and Dan.
1: Well, welcome to the Propel Podcast. I'm here today with my fellow co-workers, David and Dan, and we're going to talk to you about team dynamics. Mostly, we're going to be, uh, you know, asking David questions and then Dan and I are going to chime in. But we just want to welcome you here and say how grateful we are as a team at Fellowship Pacific that we get to work with you and work for you in our churches. And so welcome Dan and welcome David this morning.
2: Thank you. It's exciting.
1: It is exciting. It is exciting. Well, we're going to get this party started by asking, um, we're going to ask David this question as we begin this morning, talking about building a healthy team dynamic. You know, why should we care about this, David? Why do you think building a healthy team is so important and building a healthy culture is so important?
2: Well, obviously a lot of reasons, not least of which it seems obviously important. It seems like it should be obvious to all of us that wanting to work on a team that's enjoyable, that produces something, that does something good should matter. I mean, I, I don't think that's a rocket science kind of question, but a couple of reasons. One of them is that good reason or good teams are more productive in general. So we as a team read a book, uh, I don't know, maybe a year ago called The Culture Code by Daniel Coyle. And he starts off in his intro, he talks about a study by Harvard University of 200 companies and that the companies that had a strong and positive, good culture, that had a bad book exactly, that had a good team, according to him, his intro, 756% greater income. And so the company's obviously concerned about profit margins. We're not. But the same concept applies. We want to be productive in what we do. A good team helps that to be true. I think the second reason, for me at least, is good teams, I think, reflect the call of Jesus to each one of us. So um, if we think of John 1, where it says that Jesus came full of grace and truth and came and lived among us, I think when grace and truth is evident in our teams, that is legitimate grace. And then truth also allows for accountability. So there's one is the loving, the caring, the building up of others. The other is dealing with truth and reality. When that's true, that becomes part of our message to the world around us. So you have all kinds of examples. And as we're doing this podcast, you know, any news day right now, it's full of um, examples of teams, corporations, cities, um, even countries where internal politics or self-promotion or abuse of power is rampant. Mm-hmm. Racism, discrimination, all those kinds of things are kind of part of the world we're living in. And it's right in front of our face right now with the riots all over the world, really. And so I think the better our teams are, the more we reflect grace and truth legitimately to one another, the better our message of the gospel can spread to people around us. That'd be my starting points.
1: Well, that's, that's legitimate. And uh, I remember reading about that and thinking, yeah, these things are true. I think what stuck out for me when I think about building team dynamic is that whole idea of building safety um, and the belonging cues that we learned about in the Culture Code being, you know, that energy that's uh, between two people, that connection, the eye contact, the affirmation, uh, the proximity, all of those things help to build team. And then of course, individualization, which is the idea that I see you and you matter. And so making sure that people on your team know that they count for who they are and what they bring to the table. And that big piece, future orientation, knowing that, you're safe here, you belong here, and I see a future with you. And it seems so fundamental when we talk about it, but you start d- drilling down into that and making that a part of what you do intentionally with your team. And there's some work with this. So where, do you, where have you seen this? Uh, you know, what happens when it doesn't work well? What have you seen happen when it doesn't work well?
2: Uh, first, you should see if Danny wants to add anything to the original questions on the importance of teams?
1: Yes, Dan, we would like you to feel a sense of belonging as we talk about the, uh, building a culture of belonging. Yes,
3: That's actually people. exactly what I want to comment on. Yes, we can turn to books and yes, we can turn to various media and see what the experts say about team building and the experience of being on healthy teams or not. But I think all of us have had at least one good team experience not just us three but almost everybody i think that's in a work environment has experienced at least one good team situation and at least one not so healthy one and when we just examine what our our general outlook is our positivity our uh, you know our just our desire to get up in the morning and be part of what we're doing there's almost no comparison. Uh, You know, it literally saps the energy out of you to be isolated and isolating yourself or feeling like you're completely siloed. And although we admit, sometimes we need to create the incentive to deliberately participate in teams on some days where we'd rather maybe just be on our own, when we force ourselves to do that or when we just convince ourselves to do that, almost always the experience that we have is creates a, a healthier and more productive employee. And uh, I think almost all of us would be able to uh, relate to that kind of a, a test.
1: Yeah, no, that's really good. I think about that crucial conversation axiom that we teach in that course, and it's, you can act your way into a feeling before you can feel your way into an action. And it really sums up what you're talking about, Dan. There are days when you don't really feel it, but you act it and the feelings follow, knowing intentionally how important it is to develop that feeling of team culture, of belonging. And you're right. I think we've all experienced what it feels like to get up in the morning and dread going to the office at some point in our tenure of ministry. And so an important piece for sure for Sure, uh, David, do you want to any, add anything more to that?
2: Uh, no, you want to go on to that next question now, or you want yes, to, yes, we out? can
1: go on. So, we're going to talk about um, just some of the aspects of what a healthy team looks like.
2: Well, well, go back, uh, go back here. Let's jump back. So, second question being consequences of bad teams. Oh,
1: right? you want to talk about that? Oh, I had that as part of question number one, but that's okay, we can go there because I'm a team player. <laughs>
2: Yeah, let's, we're going to go with that. So consequences yeah. go of the bad team. Got a few things on that, and they're sort of discussed a little bit by all of you. So one of them is there's a, there's a human cost. And so a bad team is super painful. And I think you both yeah. kind of mentioned that if you're on that, it affects the reality of wanting to go to work. It, um, but it also fills your time in ministry, and it fills your time at home. It's something you take home with you. And so it starts to affect family and relationships and a lot of those things because it just sort of hangs on for a while. And I think that's a pretty hard earned and hard learned lesson yeah. from a long time ago for probably most of us. So I was thinking of Ecclesiastes 10 where it says a dead fly ruins a bottle of perfume and a little folly outweighs wisdom. know, one of the, the lessons that we learned pretty early on is that it only takes one person in a close working team to really make it painful for everybody and sometimes we tend to discount that in church life when it's kind of like that old book that everything you needed to know about life you learned in kindergarten you learned this back on teams when I was coaching baseball for 20 years you know if there was a lesson to learn out of all of that stuff beyond the baseball part of it it's that it only takes one bad parent one bad team or one bad team member And the entire team is in turmoil and fighting because it's just spreads, you know, like bad yeast kind of in that entire team. That becomes an issue there. So there's a a human cost. And I think because there's a human cost, there's also a real ministry cost. And that's part of the thing we sometimes discount, but it's tangible. It's real. It's things that don't get done. It's people that don't get reached. It's disciples that don't get made. It's dollars and salaries that you're paying for things you're not getting accomplished. It's wasted space in your budget that could be put to money and to people and to uh, development of disciples, that kind of thing. Um, And often when you have a bad team member, it comes with no concern for other people's budgets. And so it starts to flow out again. And that one person or two people can really cost you in terms of the ministry you're trying to achieve in very real, very tangible, quantifiable ways. And then also beyond that, there's an opportunity cost, which is what you don't do that you could have done. And so we often don't even talk about that cost of the opportunity that was lost because you realized I just can't do that with this person on a team. So anyway, there's a lot of stuff here. We go on about that quite a while, but that would be super negative. So let's move on.
1: Well, I do have a follow up question to that. And I think Dan, did you have something you wanted to add to that?
3: No, not uh, directly at that question.
1: Well, I just, David, just pushing into that a little bit, and because I think it would be interesting for our listeners to hear this is because you and I have had this conversation. What is the balance? Like if you've got somebody where in our, in our theology, where we extend grace and we care for people and we develop people, where do we, where do we find the balance between caring for someone and bringing them along and. Going, you know what? This isn't a good fit. This isn't really working. What's the balance in there?
2: Hmm. Well, it's a hard question because I think yeah. every person's different, every context is different. So it, you know, it depends what you're trying to do and who you're talking about and all that kind of thing. So, are you? Some of our teams for churches, we're talking volunteers. We're not now. The, the basic reality is still the same, but you might treat it a little differently than you would a senior officer or senior employee, leading a ministry or that kind of thing. But I mean, I don't, we don't all agree on this. Kristen, and I don't always agree on this, frankly. So you should know that if you're listening to the podcast, uh, it depends on who you are and how you approach it. So in general, my rule of this, this is my rule of thumb. It's totally arbitrary. And um, it's sort of like the 50 cap on attendance that Bonnie Henry is currently putting on for churches. So I have like a two year cap, which is, I think the most important thing in that balance is hiring the right person in the first place. But once you realize you haven't done that, I think from a ministry, church, Christ-centered approach, we have a responsibility to the person we hired. We made the choice to hire them. Nobody made us do it. So now we've got a person there, and depending on the kind of problem, I mean, there are some where it requires immediate termination, obviously. We don't need to get into that, for most people, you're looking for a way to help them succeed, not a way for them to fail. So you're going to try and look at the gifts they've got rather than the gifts they don't. And given the opportunity, move them to somewhere they're where they can succeed. Um, in Generally, for me, I like to give kind of a two-year window, which is I sort of think when somebody hires, there's kind of an unwritten rule of give us two years before you quit on us at least. Give us that opportunity. So I kind of apply that to myself and think, I'd like to see at least two years of my investment in a person to help them be successful and a meaningful part of this team before I would say it's time to, to change that. But you know, I, I think we have to invest in them at that point. But again, it depends on the issue and there's an awful lot of moving parts in that.
1: Yeah, and there's the obligation on our part that I'm always reminded of is that we need to know our team members. We need to know what their strengths are so that we can actually play to them. We can actually help them develop those strengths. I think one of the misnomers that we have is we hire somebody and they don't fit, and we just go, they don't fit, they don't fit, they don't fit. We gotta fix this, rather than just looking at the person and going, but where could they fit? What do they bring to the table? Because in the paradigm of our ministry, uh, the big long picture is that God has a purpose for all of us. God's got a plan. God is in the business of of redemption. And that concept of redemption needs to be a part of the paradigm of the leadership that we bring to our team. So there's really that balance in there. So I don't entirely disagree with you at all. I just think I've been in process of learning what it looks like to offer that redemption over the last number of, how many years have I been at the ministry center? I think 12 now, Uh, just learning that, coming out of the corporate world where if it didn't work, you got fired. So that's kind of my my where I was coming from on, on it. Dan, do you have anything to add?
3: It's almost like we're running 100 Acre Wood Incorporated, the world of Winnie the Pooh and the various characters that are found in that storyline. And when you come across an Eeyore, when an Eeyore joins your team or is a part of your broader team, you can easily categorize that person according to the initial impression you have both on their on their sort of their personality type and their productivity and you can give up on them you can give them negative messages you can say this is who you are this is the way I see you or you can patiently wait for them to develop and it's a very rewarding thing when you take someone who's always been told "Ah, you're not going to do very good at that or you know we have a limited time to see you get better at that and they come to conclusions about themselves. But when we, when we patiently bear with them, it can produce some incredible change in people. And all the more, like you say, Krista, in Christ's kingdom, especially redemption has to be such a key part of this. And so we do have to have a lot of patience, understanding and project, uh, A positive future that we are moving towards and not give up on on small things or even the first couple of fairly significant disappointments when we're working together so maybe we'll go back to that story and uh, examine how all those characters work together Uh, there's some heartwarming stuff in there
2: yeah let let me just add to that Dan so it's important We still have to accomplish something. So there's there's a balance in there of trying to figure that out. But the other part of it is remembering that any team has the stages of team formation, which we're not really getting into today in this podcast. But remembering that the second one of those team formation stages is storming. And in a storming stage, everybody's figuring out their role. And so very often we get there and we start to think we hired the wrong person because of a very normal human process of figuring out, okay, well, this person's different than I thought they were you know, it it still makes it incumbent upon us to hire the right person in the first place. But even when we do, you're gonna have that stage where there's a struggle trying to figure out how to make this work to its maximum benefit. And if we assume that's not going to happen, we're just kidding ourselves. And uh, instead of doing the work required to get a really high productive team, we sometimes get rid of the people we should keep.
1: Hmm. Yeah, good point. Uh, just a, Just a closing comment on that before we move on. I have found that as I've hired people on my team in leadership development, that we talk about that storming stage right up front. Like here we are forming right now, beware that we are going to storm. And it's made that storm uh, probably a little bit more uh, palatable for the entire team because we recognize in the middle of it that that's exactly what we're doing. We come out on the other side of it and we go, oh, remember when we did that Storming, but look where we are now and so it's teaching your team that that dynamic and that dynamic applies not just to your work environment that home environment it's anytime you are entering into a new relationship or a new working team of any kind whether volunteer at the church or um, on a staff in your home whatever it is you are going to have that storming stage so good well put The next thing that we thought we'd talk about today is, you know, what does healthy team look like? What are the core principles that need to be in place in order to have a a healthy team environment? David, I'm gonna, you know, slide Mm -hmm. that one to you to begin.
2: Okay, well, so much you could say about this, but I'll start with 23 things. Then after that, we'll just continue on. Uh, Let me just reiterate, not everybody's the same. And so the principles apply equally across the board, but the way you, so you kind of separate the application of the principle from the principle itself, because people are different, contexts are different. And so what I mean by that, for example, is um, if you're hiring experienced people, you have a different expectation and a different way of building a healthy team than you do if you're hiring rookies. If you're hiring rookies, you're gonna have to help train them and work through. So even where you're thinking about you know handing off delegating authority all the things that make teams work that kind of stuff you don't do that too quickly if it's a beginner the beginner you want them to succeed not fail so you take appropriate steps and so the levels of authority all that kind of thing is very dependent on the people it's not you know one-size-fits-all so the principle force is still the same as uh, we at culture Pacific were talking about repeatedly over and over and over the whole basic idea of um, clear responsibility with matching authority and accountability for that. So when we say clear responsibility, we mean not just the area you're responsible for, but the scope of it, like how much responsibility do you have at this level of your experience, that kind of thing. So we have clarity on that kind of thing. Um, some of the basic principles, I think Dan, you and Krista have mentioned a few of these things. I'd start with saying that the individual spiritual walk of the people on your team is critically important. But if you've got to keep asking that, and when you get to your staff meetings, taking the time to ask, how are you doing? Um, Having some spiritual conversations with people, not just work conversations. So you want your team to be Christ-centered, and that should be pervasive in your conversations. It should mean that you can stop to pray for somebody in the middle of a conversation or if a need for a church or whoever in our case it's churches comes up we can stop and just say hey let's pray for them that kind of stuff beyond that uh, some of the things daniel Coyle talks about krista you mentioned them right at the beginning safety that is they know they can express themselves talk uh, be part of this and it's a safe place for that vulnerability um, which is you know if i match that with say self-awareness for us at ultra pacific at least Those two things have been increasing in importance probably every year we've been here. Um, Dan, you're stepping into that more more recently. Krista and I've probably been on that journey together of realizing vulnerability, self-awareness, vulnerability, self-awareness. So if we create a safe place where people can be vulnerable, deal with the fact that they're growing in self-awareness, that we all are doing that, that helps the team to be a much healthier place. not very easy. Then that future focus, Krista already mentioned that. Um, some mission focus, future-wise, and also what's your part in fulfilling that mission? That's important. Enjoyment, I think, is big. We, we don't often just sit and talk about can we enjoy being together? I think that's a big thing for the coming to work and wanting to come. And so try to do that. Um, things That's why like we eat
1: buns. so many cinnamon buns.
2: Yeah, cinnamon buns are our favorite. So things like um, playing to the bright spots of people, which is try to find what they're good at, have them spend the majority of their time in that area where they're good at it so they enjoy doing it rather than forcing them into stuff they don't want to do. Um, Applying stuff like Linceone five dysfunctions of a team, which again, we won't get into. But maybe mention for that, team building is team training. And so we read together we read culture code five dysfunctions of a team we read books all the time together so that we can keep on investing in the depth of our team because if we can do that we're more productive and then i'd I'd say relationship 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 you know it's work because the more people you get the more relationships the number of possible relationships grows exponentially and so the chance that you don't click as easily with somebody becomes higher and higher and becomes inevitable. So you just have to keep working on that in a meaningful, authentic way. Uh, I'll stop for there because I could go on for days. Dan? David,
3: perhaps you could comment briefly on your approach as the overall team leader at Fellowship Pacific over a team of about 10 people, some full-time, some part-time, but when you see people that need a change or need a rest or need a break, or need some other intervention, or or some other uh, allotment of space, rather than just ignoring it. If you see them disheartened or discouraged or something else, what's the approach you take? Uh, because to me, that's a big part of the healthy team environment we have there.
2: Okay. Well, you can probably answer what you think the approach is after I say what I think the approach is. Christy <laughs> could as well. So. Um, I think in general, there's an old term. It was, uh wasn't Stephen, Covey. it was Tom Peters' book called, and from way back when, Management by Wandering Around. Mm-hmm. I think when your team is smaller, and most of our churches, with a couple exceptions, the team is small enough to do this. Um, to kind of take a tour most days and drop in on people. For our team, sometimes they think that's just annoying. But for me, I think, uh, stopping in, saying, how's it going? What are you doing? How's it feeling? Talking about their own life or their family a little bit now and then and trying to keep kind of your pulse on what's going on with people. And I think that's important. Now is a, And for us as a team now, it's a little different than it used to be. So we've got three teams. Krista leads one, you lead one, Dan. So I try not to kind of meddle in the team as much as if I thought there was something I would try and come and talk to you about it mostly, I think, maybe. At least I think that's what I'm trying to do. Uh, So I do a lot of that. And then I also think of some of the things that in churches, our churches, we tend to think of them as planning events, like a retreat, as primarily a planning event. We don't. We think of it as primarily a relationship event, a deepening of significant um, connections. Yeah, we'll do some planning, but it will be much more values-based than individual strategic planning kind of traditional models. And so I think we do that as our team as well. We try and have a values-based team with an HR policy, which we can go into if you want to, but it's the first one of those HR policies, just basically three principles with details. First one says culture eats policy for breakfast. And so it goes into what are our values as a team. And we review those probably, I don't know, every six to eight months anyway, in a staff meeting, whether I think you all know them or not. I just think it's worth coming back to them. I don't know. That's what I think, Dan. What do you think they're
3: doing? What I want to add to that is what I've seen uh, in this sort of example. Um, The long-term approach you take to the the health and productivity of the team members is that if short-term interventions are, intervention may not be the right word, measures, such as sabbaticals, Or changes to a person's focus or how many days a week they work even if they're very short term or uh, other measures are important to be allowed for the long term productivity of that employee and I think in my only two years at the Fellowship Center I've already seen at least three examples of You taking that long-term approach and giving an employee the space they need to stay healthy because it's worth it. They've been part of the team. You want them to continue to be part of the team. So you don't ignore the little signals or the downright outright statements that they're making. Hey, I'm not in a good place right now. I need something to change or be different. And you sit down with them and you say, okay, let's talk that through. And in all those cases, it's been a healthy outcome. So I wanted to put that on the table.
2: All right. Let me just add to that. Sorry, Kristen, then I'll... So yeah. another thing, and since we're talking to churches primarily with, with this podcast, I, I think the biggest waste of money our churches do, and that's a pretty big statement, but I legitimately believe the biggest waste of money we do is that we hire staff, which ends up being 60, 70, 75% sometimes of our se- of our total budget and then we don't invest in them by that I don't mean just they go to a course but I mean we don't do sabbaticals we don't look at them and ask what do we we need to put some money into their retreat or into a conference or into something because we're worried that people in the church will say well you're wasting money on frivolous things and the fact is the relationship and the connection and the culture is the single most important thing you can do to get value on your dollars for your staff. It's a tangible reality. It's not some soft thing. So it's a soft skill to achieve it, but it's a hardcore outcome. So I think it's super important to be looking at that and to put money into that.
3: Okay, let's yep. talk for a second about what does it mean to put money into that. Say you have a staff team of six people, and uh, you want to go away for forty-eight hours with that team, away from where you're churches and spend that time together team building that's worth it in your opinion once a year
2: yeah once sometimes even more so depending on there's a lot of you know it's not like there's a rule on it for us at least one retreat a year and we sometimes supplement that with other stuff so we've spent money on things like taking the entire staff and i should be clear when i say stat entire staff i mean everybody i mean part-timers full timers, administrative help. I don't like, I don't even like the division, frankly, because I don't think we achieve without each other doing that job well. So we've gone to California with the entire staff where when we do a retreat, we will go to places like Whistler and it's very nice, I think, and it's enjoyable and staff wants to go on them because we're not trying to make it as cheap as possible. We're trying to make it as nice as possible within sort of reasonable boundaries, but. That kind of stuff costs money. So in general, you want to be budgeting for at least 15% beyond your staff costs for staff development and involvement. And so I think that ought to be part of the budget because that's how you get the best value from your staff. And that's where the majority of your money is already going.
1: Now, that's a really good point. I just said you're talking about going on these retreats. The thing that first off comes to my mind is how I try desperately to win the the game by eating a banana chasing it down with seven up two times in fact in the space of 15 minutes. And uh, I will never do that again in my life, but what a great memory. Like we we had some fun for sure. So those are really good points that you bring up, David. Uh, um, I just wanted to circle back to one of the first things that you said. You know, we talk about that formula of responsibility plus authority equaling accountability. And I think one of the things that can so easily happen in church ministry is that somebody gets hired and just because there's an ebb and flow in, in the dynamic and culture of the church, people's job descriptions change or they get hired and their job description is not really clear. And I think that that is a piece that as uh, leaders, we need to be looking at and getting clarity on. So if you do like, you know, if you hire somebody and the job description, Description isn't clear because you're not really sure how it's going to unfold over the next coming months. There needs to be uh, some deadlines in place for you as a leader. Going, I've got to sit down with this person and make sure we know where they're going, what they're doing, and that they have a clear idea. And if we're going to apply a little bit of adaptive planning to what their job description looks like, then we need to do that. I'm reminded that right now we're in the middle of uh, a new season of ministry. And without a doubt, people's job descriptions are needing to change because how they do ministry is changing. And I think there's some, to take the time now and look at your staff, figure out what their strengths are, play to those strengths, but look at them in the context of this new environment that we find ourselves in is going to be crucial for the health of your team, especially with a the lack of, there's, uh, there's less communication is, as uh, church staff are working from home, not seeing each other as often. I think that that part of what you do a team is very important.
2: Um, okay. Let me push back on that slightly. So I think. Okay.
1: Well, need... I would expect nothing less, David.
2: Thank you. So I, I think you have to get there, but I think you would know, Dan would know this. I'm like the who's newest guy in there. would know this, I'm, uh, You would probably be more concerned about super clear job description, Krista, than I would be. I'm more concerned with letting them play into their position in a sense. So uh, we'll have somebody join a team. I'll use Mike as a new member for our team. And sometimes say, what's my, you know, have you written job description? Nope, not yet. (laughs) We're we're just going to wait and see how that fits into our team and what it actually ends up being where you're, morphing to your natural strengths. And we're still gonna have to cover everything, but I'm not in a rush to do that. I'm in a rush to understand how the team interacts uh, and then continue to adjust it and then ultimately write something. But they come in with a general idea, but I just keep telling them. I think it makes people disquiet. Dan could maybe maybe speak to that. I know for Mike, it's like, what's the job? I don't know, we're getting there. It's, It's becoming clear. So I don't know.
1: Well, yeah, and so my pushback again on that is simply exactly what you've just stated. And that is for healthy team dynamic, people need to have some general idea. So I'm not saying have it all figured out when they start, but I'm saying have some parameters or have the conversation. We don't have this all figured out. We want you to play to your strengths. We want this to morph and grow um, as the ministry changes and as we see how God's gifted you. So hang tight, we're going to get there. I think having that conversation is crucial, not so much having the job description in place, neat and tidy. Yeah, I like neat and tidy, but you know what? I've managed to work with you, David, for 12 years where it has not been neat and tidy. And I have learned that we can leave some things open-ended. But my point being, have that communication with your team in order to maintain and grow a healthy team culture.
2: Yeah, I'd agree with that.
1: Oh, there you go. Look at that. Look at that. Dan, did you have anything you wanted to add to that?
3: Ultimately, I think both of you are saying essentially the same thing, yes. adapting it to your own leadership style. So I, I watch each of you lead your smaller teams at our office. And I think what you're talking about right now works for both of you, because the general principle of letting people play to their Uh, strengths and adapting their position around the successes that you see looks a little different between the two of you but I think in terms of the the team member it works because there is room room for the person to say uh, let me show you what I what I can do let me show you uh, what you've beyond what you've currently imagined and that's a really amazing thing when people do that, when they have the space and then they step up and they show you amazing things about themselves because they've they've got the room to do it. And all three of us as team leaders have seen people on our teams do that.
1: Totally. I don't think there's anything greater being a team leader and watching somebody morph and grow and actualize uh, the giftings that God has for them and watch watch them pu- uh, kind of grow into those, those areas of calling with such purpose and confidence. I, I love seeing that. And I think, you know, it's important as a team leader, a pastor, uh, wherever you are in ministry, if you have people that uh, report to you or work with you on a team, that you are continually speaking that into their lives. Hey, I see this in you. Hey, I think that you are going to go so far in this area. Man, you're gifted in that. Uh, people, when they hear that, it it strengthens their resolve to bring their best to the table, uh, their best to the team, and that's ultimately what you want. You want people to feel good about being there and feel confident in what they've been called to do.
3: Let me just so, speak for a second, yeah, to the rank and file team member who is not a team leader, and just encourage them and say, you know, if you've got some hidden uh, interest project that nobody else has envisioned that you should be a part of step up and show um, them your initiative step up and show uh, that you're thinking beyond what people are currently defining you as i guarantee your team leader will will, i can't completely guarantee it but i would be surprised if they don't react very strongly to see you producing that initiative that says i'm i'm bigger than what people see in me right now
1: no you know i've just been working through ephesians and we see there at the end of ephesians chapter one where paul actually says to those believers at the church of ephesus he says i am praying that god will open the eyes of your heart it's really a prayer for their expanded capacity to know and understand who they are in christ and that is really needs to be the prayer of every leader. And so there should be that open receptiveness to hearing what are, what people feel like God's calling them to, or some exactly what you've said, Dan, that's very, very well put. All right. I'm going to move on to another question unless you guys have other comments or anything else you want to add to that.
2: Go for it. Got okay. Song. So this
1: is not a rocket science question. This is, uh so here we're talking about how to you know interact with team, encourage team. How do we do this when we're all stuck in our home offices? How do we do this remotely?
2: Okay, I'll kick in on a few things on this. Um if I have to leave due to my other call coming in, you can wind it all up. So I don't think okay. it really changes. Um I think the application of it changes. The principles stay the same. And so that's really creative can you be on doing that and there's always more you can do but it comes down to at a really simple level when people are remote that kind of thing how do you apply the team concept to it you either trust them or you don't Hmm. I don't and you know sometimes I'll push into this till I get to a pretty black and white thing and the black and white thing for me typically comes down to do I trust the people I work with or don't I and if I don't I have a much bigger problem than COVID-19 and you know covid-19 will end at some point but the trust issue needs to either get fixed or it's going to be a you know a, a game breaker at the end of the end of it all so i think that's true and but within that trust i think accountability is everybody's friend I, I don't think we need to look at accountability as a bad thing we need to look at it and try and teach it within our team as a really positive thing so And that happens in all kinds of different ways, not just because it gets the job done. But if we care about the mission as individuals, and so let's say for our team, I think most of the people, all the people actually on our team, care a whole lot about the mission that Christ has called us to in helping churches. So I have zero question on that for our team. But with it comes some weird things. So, uh, for example, yesterday, Krista, you and I had a conversation about kind of workaholism and the guilt that that induces in you at times. And so when you work remotely, you start to feel guilty that you're not doing enough because you're not in your regular hours at work or there's dynamics to that that have this weird slight guilt feeling to them or discomfort to them. And remember that conversation. I think yeah. accountability helps us with that. I think accountability helps us to realize, oh, well, actually, we are doing our job and our team is doing our job. And as a bigger team, we're doing our job. We, we don't need to go around carrying that all by ourselves, feeling that kind of thing. And so you try to build more accountability, not because you don't trust the people, but because you want to help them achieve what they want to achieve. So uh, we move from biweekly meetings, which I frankly prefer, to weekly meetings, which um, has less to do with the need to discuss what we're doing, because it really doesn't, and more to do with accountability of one to another because I think that helps all of us to feel better about what we're doing. So I think those things kind of come into play for one. Uh, Second thing is you have to think about how you live out the concept of safety and future orientation, which we talked about earlier on a good team when you're remote. So how do you communicate that to people? And COVID-19 has been really interesting for that because of the, Uh, the CERB and the various government subsidies, which made it super easy to lay off people because they still get paid. Um, And I know a lot of our churches that are listening to this have made that decision to do that. My caution would be what message do you send and how is that done? So it has to be incredibly authentic and honest and not be playing games with it. So if you're laying off people because of COVID, it needs to be because of COVID with the intent to hire them back not using COVID as a way of getting rid of people you couldn't deal with before. And so that sounds kind of harsh, but I think when you start thinking team and trust and vulnerability and safety, authenticity and the truth really matters. So even on fairly high functioning teams, and I think of ours as a relatively high functioning team, I know in the first few meetings we had when COVID said we're decentralizing and working in Zoom, um, we had people ask a couple of times, are you planning on laying people off? because people care. They want to know that there's safety, that there's a future, what that looks like. And we didn't need to do that and didn't do that. But some teams, some churches may need to make that choice. But how you do it in a way that communicates safety, future orientation, they're part of the long story, I think is really important.
1: No, that's really well put, David. I think, um, yeah. We have to think about all of those things. And there's the need to probably communicate in ways that you didn't before. Um, in, in like, I, I think about you sending us a care package at the beginning of this. I think about, you know, dropping stuff off to my team members when um, just random, uh, just, you know, remembering birthdays, things of that nature. I think uh, we have to go out of our way to, to keep those connections alive and well. It's really easy to just sort of, Uh, retreat into that home office and not make the effort. I mean, I remember the first time I went out in my car, I hadn't been in my car, I hadn't driven my car for so long, I forgot, I thought, I don't think I remember how to drive this thing. Uh, And I thought, oh, that's not really that great that I've been that isolated from my routine and from the people that I care about. So very well put. Uh, Dan, do you want to add anything to that?
3: Just very briefly, that... uh I haven't figured out anything earth-shattering in terms of how to be a team leader during this time. I just kind of um, continue to take the the same basic approach. What I like to do is uh, just kind of reach out and connect in very small ways with all my team members. Sometimes one-on-one, sometimes one-on-two, occasionally one-on-three, uh, just to be in contact with them way more times than we do as a as a large staff team it could just be you know an incidental comment on slack or uh or connecting um you know tagging them or forwarding something to them that you think would be of interest to them i i think that pays off i think it's just good people thrive on not being left alone completely Mm -hmm. and then they do that they do the same um one thing i want to just say is like you know it's been very very encouraging actually in our office even though we're not literally in our office we're in touch with all our churches through this time i am very encouraged with the lack of uh, crisis in our churches even finances have been um you know, something we initially thought would be a significant worry. And our churches are reporting such good things. Our churches are excited to report the creative ministry uh, ideas that are emerging amongst their staff and amongst their people. And so COVID is really a time of opportunity and, uh, you know, I think we would welcome hearing more ideas from our churches and their staff teams, how, how they're doing, how they're handling this, the answer to this question.
1: No, that's really good. Well, I think we're ready to wrap things up here. I just want to thank uh both Dan and David for joining me here today. We uh, want to remind you, our listeners, that we are here to serve you. We have, um, Uh, just different seminars, different uh, services that we offer that can be of help to you and your church staff. We are praying for you and we care about you doing well in the places that God has placed you. So make sure you reach out to us if we can help you with anything. And again, thank you for joining us here today.
0: Thanks for listening to today's episode. I hope you found this conversation encouraging and helpful and that you've gained some practical next steps that you can take to increase the health in your own team. As you know, we at Fellowship Pacific are committed to serving you and supporting you, and we have a number of resources available specifically to help your teams. You can find information about those in our show notes, and we hope you take advantage of them. One of the resources we've developed is this very podcast, and we hope you've been enjoying it as much as we've enjoyed putting it together for you. Over the summer, we're going to be taking a break from creating new episodes and working on putting together an amazing lineup for you that will be coming out in the fall. So for now, catch up on any of our episodes you may have missed, pass them on to any friends or colleagues who you think will benefit from them, and let us know what you've appreciated the most about this podcast. We'd love to hear from you, and we'd love to get your feedback so that we can make this next round of episodes even better. You can stay in touch with us on Facebook and Instagram and through our website www.fedpacific.ca